Mark 4, beginning verse 35, tells us, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, how can this be, or who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And Father, we just want to ask for your supernatural grace once again, Lord. Uh, We recognize, Lord, apart from you, Jesus, we can do nothing. And even as we have sang and prayed and fellowshiped and worshiped in other ways, we want to continue to worship now by submitting our heart and soul mind and spirit to the truth of your word. So Lord, we ask that you'd prepare us accordingly. Lord, we ask that you would just even diminish any effort of the evil one to steal away the seed of the word of God from having its maximum impact in our lives, that Lord, you would not allow any effort of the enemy and spiritual warfare to hinder the ministry of your spirit this day, speaking to us through what you have already spoken in the word of God. So bless your word, Lord. We ask this now, speak expectantly to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, as much as we, I think, would agree we all prefer smooth sailing in our earthly journey, it is a normal part of the journey from birth through this fallen world, arriving to our final destination, to be navigating periodic storms in life. And I have found, and I know you've discovered as well, that sometimes those can be small storms of just little inconveniences, bumps in the road, if you would, that require some extra effort maybe to push through or maybe just cause some hindrance or some setbacks. Other times we find they're a little bit more intense and difficult storms that are a lot harder to work through. And the difficulties maybe are to a much greater degree. And then other times, of course, they can be storms that are extremely overwhelming. Something we might equate to maybe like a tornado or a powerful hurricane where the storm of circumstances we go through are just devastating and completely overwhelming as we're trying to navigate through them. And look, despite the various types of storms and the different levels of intensity that they may come with and the different ways that they may show up or how long even they may last, the reality is storms are just a part of human existence. It's a part of journeying through this fallen world that is cursed by sin, even for Christians. We are not immune from storms. We are not isolated and immune from challenges and hardships and even tragedies. And it is very healthy as well as wise for us to just kind of accept that reality. In fact, remember Jesus himself not wanting us to be shocked by the storms when they come. In Matthew or John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. The idea is in relationship with me, you can have peace. But he said, but in this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. The language there literally described the crushing pressure. The term that's used for tribulation there is crushing pressure. And he says that is something that will be a part of this world. But he said, take heart. I've overcome the world. Paul, we're told in Acts chapter 14, as he was going around strengthening the disciples, encouraging believers in the different churches to remain true to the faith, declared this, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, he's not saying the hardships are necessary to get in. What he's saying is the hardships that we will go through will just be a part of the different exits along the highway until we arrive at the destination of the kingdom of God. That we must, it's a part of life, go through, he said, many different forms of hardships before we enter into the kingdom of God. Again, James chapter 1 and 1 Peter 1 both assure that we will face many trials in various ways. And if you go through the scriptures, you'll start to notice that the Bible indicates that there are even different reasons at times that God may permit or allow us to go through a stormy situation or a stormy life difficulty. For one example, the Bible teaches it could be simply just due to poor decisions. And sometimes just our own poor decisions from time to time can create, do they not, stormy waters, which then bring about difficult consequences, which are then used as really a storm of correction to deal with us for our wrong decisions that we made. You can ask Jonah about that, or you can read his book in the Old Testament. That was a storm of correction from disobedience and rebellion to the Lord and bad choices. But then sometimes storms are allowed to direct us, to get us from where we're at or maybe where we're headed to redirect us to where God wants us to be. You see that happen in Acts chapter 27 and 28, where God allows in Paul's life and with everyone on board with him, a horrific storm to take place, but ultimately it shipwrecks them, not the way you want to end a, a, a nice little boat tour, but it shipwrecks them on the island of Malta, and there the Lord uses them to do other ministry that God had in mind for them. And that storm directed Paul to that island and to a group of people where he was supposed to be next. At other times, storms are used to develop our character. And James and 1 Peter talks about how character and perseverance, valuable lessons are gleaned when we go through such. And I think as well, one obvious practical thing we all realize is that sometimes when we go through hardships and storms, those become the things that also make us better comforters to be able to actually be able to relate to other people and to connect with them and to be able to pass on some useful comfort because lots of other people on the planet are hurting and going through hardships. And sometimes it's when you've gone through a particular hardship or a particular challenge or difficulty, you are much more sensitive and equipped to be a productive comforter. And if there's anything our earth needs probably a little bit more of is more comforters. People who are able to comfort others, whether other believers or even just other non-believers that are hurting in the world. And look, the heart of God when we pass through storms is never to drown us. It's never to shipwreck us or destroy us, but even ultimately to use the hardship in a good and beneficial process to bring good through that situation ultimately in our lives. And that's what we see happening in our passage today. We find the disciples here passing through a storm, but as they're passing through this storm that's overwhelming and scary and it's making them confused and they're even questioning the Lord in the midst of it, they really come to some really beneficial conclusions and God uses it for some productive things as they journey through it. And I think there are great lessons from this to be gleaned for our own lives Again, if you were to title this morning's message, not that I get much into titles, but the thing that came to me as I looked at our passage this week is this is like Storm 101, obey, then trust, obey, then trust. And here's why I say that, because often we hear the term trust and obey, trust and obey. But sometimes what needs to happen is when we do obey and then the storm comes, we have to trust. And sometimes we'll see it's because we obeyed that the storm comes, but then are we going to still trust after we've obeyed and continue to stay the course and not abandon ship? Now, we know the backdrop. Jesus has been doing extensive teaching in the Galilee region, which is the region in the northern area where the Sea of Galilee was, yet there apparently were still some other things that he had on his heart to do a next season of ministry, and this is part of what connects to where we go this morning. If you look with me in our text as it opens, verse 35, look with me. He says, on the same day, Mark tells us, when evening had come, so the conclusion of this long day of teaching once again, 
Jesus said to them, verse 35, let us cross over to the other side. So Jesus here, notice verse 35, gives a clear directive that he wants them now to follow him into what he had on his mind that he wanted to do next. He gives them a command, a clear directive, an instruction, and says, there's something on my heart, knowing what was best, knowing what was even best for them, knowing what was next, and what he had planned, he proposes his desire. You see it there in verse 35? He says, let us, I want us, he says, to cease from what we have been doing here in the region of Galilee, on this side of the Sea of Galilee, I want to cease from what we've been doing here in this past season, and I want us to go over to the other side. The idea is to cross over to the other side of the lake and to do what? To enter into, we're going to see, to the eastern region of the Sea of Galilee, the area of the Gadarenes, where there was now a new territory with other people that Jesus wanted to reach and Jesus wanted to minister to, and he wanted to include his disciples and followers to participate in this new ministry with them. So again, this was new and different ministry, new work the Lord was going to accomplish, and we see that, or we will see it as we get into chapter 5, where Jesus is going to do ministry, where he endeavors to bring about powerful life change in the life of this man that they'll encounter when they first get there. He also stirs the people on the other side in a fresh way and triggers new expansion of his work that happens to a greater degree. And so he's seeking to include his disciples in the process now by saying, look, there's something on my mind that I want to do over there. Let's go over there. Let's leave from here. We've done this. I want to now go over there. And in this situation, notice as Jesus gives this directive, clearly they were to leave where they were and to leave what they were doing and to move on to the next thing, to the next step, if you would, to the next situation, the next season. And at this point, you can tell as you read Jesus' sentence there in verse 35, it's just one simple step to follow. He doesn't give them the five-year plan. He doesn't even give them the five-day plan. He just gives them the five-minute plan. He says, I want to do this one thing. I want to leave from where we are and let us now go over there to the other side of the lake. He does not give them all the details of the next thing. And truth be told, that was probably purposeful because they might not have been ready to accept what the Lord had ahead for them. In fact, quite honestly, they might have even hesitated if he told them what it all involved in the next few steps ahead of them. We're going to see as we get to Mark chapter 5, as we not only in what we're going to see in our text this morning, think about it, just this one step meant that they were going to pass through a horrible, difficult storm. And on the other side, the consolation prize, they met a demon-possessed crazy man. So if he would have told them, hey, let's go to the other side. Here's my first step. And I want to tell you the next few things that that one step is going to include a horrible storm. You're going to be terrified. You're going to feel like you're drowning. It's going to take the life out of you. And then on top of it, we're going to meet a really crazy demon-possessed man who's out of his mind. They probably would have, mm, I don't know. I think we're booked the rest of the day. They probably would have considered passing on the idea. And so many times, I know I found in my life, you probably have as well, a lot of times the Lord just gives us one simple directive to follow. He just gives us one step. He asked us to do one thing. He told Abraham, I want you to leave from this place, remember, in the book of Genesis, and go to a land that I will show you. And he doesn't tell Abraham anything else of the process. And imagine Abraham, again, not only just as a man trying to compute and work through that, and what that meant, but on top of it, remember, he was a married man. Imagine coming home. Honey, I've heard from the Lord. Okay, what's he told you? He said that we're supposed to leave, to pack up the Urhal, to get everything ready, and, and we're moving to a new... You missed that, Urhal? Yeah, see, my jokes never really land well. It's just... To, and, and to move to a new location. And can you imagine her... It came, it came in time. She said, to move to a new location, she said, well, where are we going? And he says, I don't know. The Lord said, he'll show me after we leave. 
And imagine her trying to pro. Are you sure you heard from the Lord? But again, God gave him one directive. And when you look at Abraham's life, it was progressive revelation. That's how God works. God gives us one step, obey this, do that. And we do the one step. And once we've done the next step, uh, once the step of obedience, the next step often comes. And so many times, this is how the Lord keeps us walking by faith. And the Lord is always wanting to lead our lives. He's always wanting us to go forward. The Bible says, in his heart, a man plans his course. The Lord directs his what? Steps, right? We, want, we, want, we got a whole course in mind. And God says, that's great, but walking happens a step at a time. The Bible says we walk with God. And oftentimes, God will give us a step. And we have to be willing to obey the step or take the step. And when we take the step, he then shows us the next thing. He's wanting to keep us going forward, to keep us growing. And sometimes he'll give us a clear directive. And he may say to our heart, he may prompt you and say, let us go do this. Let us go over there and talk to that person. Uh, okay, Lord, but what am I going to talk to him about? Why don't you go over and talk to him first? Maybe you're supposed to go over and talk to him and Maybe you're supposed to just show them some kindness because nobody else did and they're having a horrible day. No, oh, if I go over there, he's going to make me preach the gospel to him. How do you know that? Maybe he just wants you to go over and be nice to him and to show love to him, to show them that somebody actually would say, hey, how, how are you doing? Or you seem a little like you're discouraged. Is everything going on? Or could I pray for you for something? And, and so many times the Lord may prompt us in a small thing or maybe even in the more grandiose matters but he'll give us one step, and he tells the disciples here, look, let's depart. And sometimes it involves doing what the disciples here. Sometimes what he tells us to do is, is maybe departing from what we're doing and going over and doing something else. Maybe it's the end of one thing and then the, the step of something new. Maybe it's a next season. Maybe it's even, again, just taking a break from what you're doing in the middle of your day and allowing yourself to be interrupted and going and doing something else for just five minutes and Again, being sensitive to the Lord that sometimes it's let's go over there and do this thing. And change, folks, can I remind us, change is not always a bad thing. So many times we get so caught up and so comfortable and we, you know, and I, look, I, and I understand this. I'm a structured guy. I'm a pattern guy. I'm a pack mule and my family hated me for that. All I knew how to do was just keep pulling the sled forward. I wasn't using the up or down very much, and that's why I married my wife and had four daughters, so I could be in touch with my feminine side and emotions. And, and so I understand that, because I can be a lot like that. But change is not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a necessary thing. Sometimes it's a healthy thing, a good thing. And I think we need to recognize that God is in the business of bringing change, and there's a time and a season, right? Times and seasons for every different purpose under heaven. And so here, God is initiating a change, but often he'll give one instruction. But understand, when the Lord does that, he's always got a plan. He has something in his mind. He knows where he's headed. He understands what's on the other side, if you would. And we just take the first step of the journey, and we can be assured, hey, he's with me. He's asking me to do this, and he is with me. And all our responsibility really is, is just to get on board with the Lord and launch forward into what it is he's telling us to do and to stay on board regardless of what happens and not abandon ship. The most important thing, I would say this before we go on to verse 36, is we need to just make sure we're hearing the Lord's voice and that we know that the Lord told us, let us go over there and do that. And it wasn't just some idea we had that we're not listening to the idea in our own head because I've seen that too. Right? And we see that problem even in the early church in the book of Acts. It says that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 13. Separate to me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them to. They laid hands on them, they prayed over them, and it says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. I have many times over the years of my Christian walk and Christian ministry have seen people who have went out, but they weren't sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went out because they had a great idea or they had a strong desire and they went out and did things and ultimately it wasn't the Lord's leading. So what we want to be sure of is, Lord, did you really say this to me? But look, once you know the Lord clearly told you to do something, you can walk in confidence in that and you can step forward and say, the Lord told me to do this. He is with me. I am getting on board with the Lord 
And I look, there's no better and safer journey than doing what Jesus has told you to do. They're going to go through a storm, and they're going to be safe as can be because Jesus told them to do that. And they're in the center of the Lord's will, and he knows what he's doing and what's ahead. So he tells them, let's go to the other side. Verse 36 says, now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats, it says, were also with him. So they left the multitude who they had been with for some time. They set out now on this new journey as Jesus has directed. And notice verse 36, it says there, that little phrase, they took Jesus in the boat as he was. Now, what Mark is alluding to there, if you remember back at the beginning of chapter 4, in fact, if you want to glance back chapter 4, verse 1, it says, again, Jesus began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude gathered to him, remember, to manage the crowd with wisdom and practicality because he wanted everyone to be able to hear the word of God. Jesus got into a boat, sat in it, and then the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Remember, Jesus got into the boat to kind of create an amphitheater effect. He pushed out into the water a little bit, and everyone was sitting on the shoreline. And so he's been teaching Throughout this chapter, it seems, sitting on that boat, communicating to the people, and Mark wanting us to take notice of that. And I think perhaps the reason Mark alludes to this fact that Jesus was already in the boat and they took him along after he gave this directive with him already being on the boat, I can't help but to wonder if the Holy Spirit is trying to convey to us that the disciples, again, they weren't just launching out and trying to do something in their own idea here. In fact, it's the exact opposite. They're not trying to convince Jesus to get on board with them. Jesus was already on board. Jesus was already on board because whose idea is this? It's Jesus' idea. Jesus wanted them to get on board with him. That's the thing we want to be really careful of. We don't want to get into this place sometimes where we're trying to direct Jesus and we're trying to propose to Jesus what we want to do, and then we're trying to get Jesus on board and we're trying to take Jesus along and hope Jesus will bless our journey. That's a real prescription for problems there. What we want to do is the exact opposite. We want to know what the Lord's doing, what he's already on board with, and we want Jesus saying, hey, get on board with me. <laughs> this is what I want to do. And I'm just saying, why don't you come along with me? Why don't you participate in this process? So they become aware of what the Lord's doing. He wants to go to the other side. They join him in what he's doing. It says in verse 36, and others as well followed along in boats, so they want to participate and go along with what the Lord's doing next. And it is always the best thing, again, if we're not proposing our ideas, but we're letting the Lord lead. That's always to be the goal and the agenda in life, is to find out what's the Lord doing? What's on the mind of the Lord? Where's the Lord going? What does the Lord want to accomplish? What's on his heart and what's his will? Where's the Lord leading? And then we just get on board with the Lord and follow him with where he's going. That is the best way to ultimately be directed. John chapter 12, Jesus said this, if anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. You notice how Jesus ties together serving him, John 12, 26. He says, if you serve me, then you don't propose ideas to me, Jesus says. What you try and do is you see where I'm going and where I am and what I'm doing, and you follow me like what he's doing with the disciples here. He says, hey, I got something on my mind, boys. I want you to get on board with me. This is what I'm doing. I want you to come and participate. And so valuable to remember, we want to find out where the Lord's going and what the Lord's doing and say, all right, Lord, I'm going wherever you're going. If this is what you're doing, if this is what's on your mind, then I want to participate in that. Now, the challenge is, and the question becomes, what if part of that process to get from where we're at at one point to where maybe the Lord wants us to be, what if that process involves him taking us through some stormy waters? What if that process of obeying him and following him and letting him take us to where he's wanting us to be next what if that means some difficulty in teaching us things and doing things in our life? That's what the disciples are being subjected to, right? Because they follow the Lord and they get taken right into a storm, right? The next verse tells us a horrible storm begins to erupt at this point. And I want to, again, bring to your attention this morning 
the disciples are in the center of the will of the Lord. And yet their circumstances are going to be extremely hard. They're in the center of the will of the Lord, and yet their circumstances become very, very difficult to navigate, and they're enduring intense hardship. Sometimes we can be in the center of the will of the Lord, and it is not going to be smooth sailing. Don't doubt. Don't get discouraged. Don't find yourself scratching your head and getting confused and listening to the lying voice of the devil. Well, if you were in the middle of God's will, why is everything so hard in your life? Why are you struggling just to stay afloat? Why are you wrestling and feeling like everything is against you if you were in the center of the Lord's will? Because see, the reality is they were in the storm that they go into because they obeyed the Lord. And they were in the very center of the will of the Lord. And as a result of being in the center of the will of the Lord, there were difficulties and lessons that were a part of it. Look, don't think automatically that something's wrong just because there's hardship in your pathway. Just because you're sailing through maybe stormy waters and difficult times. I think, I could speak for myself. Typically, if I've created a self-inflicted storm like a Jonah thing, I can figure that out pretty quickly. It's not like I'm going, I wonder if the reason why I'm having challenges is because of the the stupid thing that, oh, oh yeah, okay, that's why I'm having a problem here. We usually know that. But if you can't clearly put your finger on, yeah, I did a Jonah thing, I made a dumb decision, I made a bad financial choice, I acted in a way I shouldn't have. If you can't clearly connect the dots in a very obvious way, then be very careful of automatically buying into this idea, well, if you're a Christian or God loves you or you weren't doing what was right or you were in the will of the Lord, you wouldn't be struggling or suffering because the Bible doesn't substantiate that. God was bragging about Job, saying, I have no one else on earth like this man. And then Job went through horrific, horrible, difficult things. And he was completely in right relationship with God. The Bible tells us again in James 1 and 1 Peter 1, he says, Whenever we face trials of many kinds, know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So notice, as we face different kinds of trials, the Bible says God uses that. He strengthens our faith. He teaches us perseverance. He builds our character through those things. And he says, let the process finish its work. You'll be more mature on the other side. You'll find that you lack less things because God will make you a more full and a complete person. First Peter chapter 1 says as well, sometimes that we need to endure trials, he says, for the testing of our faith to strengthen it. So here they are. They obey the Lord It is smooth sailing, probably a nice sunny day as they start out, never having any idea what was around the corner on the next verse. And then it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. So this great windstorm, again, the term in the Greek there is is mega, megas, a mega windstorm comes crashing down upon the lake now. This fierce, intimidating, dangerous storm squall quickly interrupts this nice, peaceful journey that they have launched into. Luke chapter 8 says, A windstorm came down on the lake, and the boat was filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. That's how Luke describes the account. This abrupt, violent storm that the disciples are facing here was a common occurrence on that particular body of water. Uh, We refer to it as the Sea of Galilee. It's much more of a freshwater lake. The Sea of Galilee, it's about eight miles wide. It's about 13 miles long. And the way that it's situated geographically there, it sits about 700 feet below sea level, surrounded like a basin, surrounded by, we might call them small mountains. They're probably more like hills in comparison. But it sits very low, almost 700 feet below sea level, and then you have mountains around it. And what that causes, because of the geographic setup, the cooler winds from the higher elevation at times will fall down and abruptly meet the warmer surface air from the Sea of Galilee there. And when the two collide, it produces, even to this day, these sudden, violent storms. 
Now, some of you who signed up for the Israel trip, all of a sudden, you're trying to see if you can back out all of a sudden. You said, the Sea of Galilee was on there. Honey, maybe we can get our deposit back. But this is a realistic thing to this day that happens, where all of a sudden, it can be a beautiful day, and very quickly, a harsh weather squall can come crashing down upon the lake that makes things get rather pretty un safe on the Sea of Galilee. These strong winds start driving against the boat. And remember, most of the disciples, a good portion of them are what? Fishermen. So they're used to working the Sea of Galilee. So this is a pretty intense storm, you have to understand, where now they find themselves, they're struggling to go forward. They're straining just to stay afloat. They've lost control of the boat, it seems. They're tossing up and down. Water's crashing over the sides. The vessel's taking on water. Luke says they literally were in jeopardy. So they're in a very precarious, dangerous situation. As experienced fishermen, they're sincerely struggling. They've lost control. They're not navigating anymore. Everything has gone out of control in their life in this moment, and maybe you can relate to that. And this storm has abruptly come upon their lives, and it seems inevitable that they're just going to drown that they're going to shipwreck, that there is no way they're going to make it through this. Now, as I can said, and let me say before, keep in mind, Jesus is God. It is not like Jesus forgot to check the weather app and did not know that this storm was going to be coming on the Sea of Galilee. It's not that he wasn't aware of that. He was fully aware of that, and yet he chose to allow and to permit that to be a part of the journey as they pass through going from one side over to the other side. See, he knew the hardship and the struggle would be part of the journey, but he also knew that he would sustain them through the horrific storm. He knew that he would use the storm and lead them safely through it and even teach them some valuable things spiritually as the result of having to endure through that. Verse 38 tells us the beginning of it, but he, Jesus, as this storm is going on, now imagine this, the storm's going on, he, Jesus, it says, was in the stern, that's the rear of the boat, asleep on a pillow. So amazing, in the midst of these conditions, Jesus, it says, is actually resting peacefully, asleep during this storm, which indicates clearly two things, I think, both his humanity and his deity we see here. It indicates his humanity and his deity. First of all, it indicates his humanity because apparently the human fatigue in his natural human body was causing him to be so bone tired right, from all the ministry that he was doing extensively that apparently he had been pouring himself out so intensely to such an extent that he is so exhausted that he is asleep on the back of a boat in the middle of a horrible storm. Again, Jesus took a body of flesh, and he experienced everything that we did. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he was pouring himself out tremendously. And so he was completely exhausted. And again, you can perhaps maybe to some degree relate to that reality at times of time from time in your life when you're just so bone tired, you barely can stay awake. Right? I remember probably one of the worst reputations my wife can attest to that I had for when we were pastoring Calvary Chapel of York before the Lord you know, drew us here for the 13 years that we were there. And the first part of that, the first three years at least, when we first got there and I was church planning, I was working full time. We, we had three children and, and life was very busy. And I was doing everything I could to not let ministry eclipse the fact that I should be spending time with my family. So typically, I would work all day. I would try and be the husband and father I was supposed to be. And I didn't want to rob my family of being a husband and a father. So a lot of times I would wait till they would go to sleep at night. Then once they all go to sleep, then I would try and pound a cup of coffee and stay up till one, two, three o'clock in the morning doing things that I knew that I needed to do as a part of studying and preparing. And because of that and kind of burning, you know, the candle at both ends, I had this really bad reputation when Whenever we would go over people's house for dinner and things of that nature, you can ask my family, I, I would fall asleep at everybody's house. It was like, hey, let's have Tony and Trish and the kids over for dinner. And we'd be sitting there talking. I would, oh. I'd literally, I'd be, and my wife was, I was like so embarrassed. She's like, what do you keep doing? It's so rude. You keep 
going over everyone's house and falling. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to do it. Worst case scenario, we were having an elders' prayer meeting. I remember one time, and again, I'm with the overseers of our church. We're having a prayer meeting. I fell asleep in the middle of our leadership prayer meeting. I just completely got a little too comfortable and was resting in the Lord uh, and started speaking in tongues. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you know what, sometimes you can be so tired. And look, to me, this is a beautiful picture because apparently Jesus was exhausted. And sometimes it's an okay to be a good thing, to be exhausted in the work of the Lord. If you're going to be exhausted for something, that's a great reason to be exhausted. And his life was poured out. He was physically tired. He was drained. But I think his deity is represented in him sleeping there because it shows he's completely inwardly at peace and rest even though a horrible storm is going on. That's the deity of Jesus. Because he was God and the God of creation, circumstances that were troubling and terrifying the disciples, causing them great worry, were not the slightest concern to Jesus whatsoever. Because he was God. And what was terrifying them was completely under his control. It was not something where he was shaken, though it appeared very bad circumstantially, None of this took Jesus off guard, nor was it too much for him to handle or resolve. Why? Because he's the mighty God. And so he can handle anything and resolve anything. Genesis chapter 18, there's that question posed, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then God answers his own question in Jeremiah 32, where there it says, Lord, there is nothing too hard for you. God asks the question, and then he answers it. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Later on, God says, just in case you're getting the answer wrong, there is nothing too hard for the Lord because he is the miracle-working, mighty God. How wonderful to know in our heart and mind when we're overwhelmed, when we're in hard storms and difficult circumstances, to know that though they've taken us by surprise, though they are more than what we can handle, though we feel like we're going to shipwreck, though it seems like that we're drowning under it, to know that Jesus is at peace and at rest, and if he is on board with us, that we're going to be okay. And how wonderful that he, by his peace, can then settle us inwardly by giving us that peace. Isaiah 26.3 says this, Lord, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, the idea is focused on you because he trusts in you. See, Jesus is completely at rest when absolute chaos or hardship or the worst of things are going on because nothing unsettles Jesus as God. It unsettles us because we're human beings. But how wonderful. The Bible says you don't have to keep yourself peaceful. It says he can keep you in perfect peace. He keeps us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed or focused on him. So what's the key? Keep your mind on the Lord. Control your mind. Keep your mind on the Lord through his word, through prayer. Stay in contact with him. Stay close to him, and he will keep you peaceful. Again, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we often know that. Be anxious for nothing. By prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God will come in and guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He can give us a supernatural peace in the midst of hardships. Well, despite the reality, we see the humanity still of the disciples. They're like you and I. Look at verse 38, the second part of it. It says, and they went and they awoke Jesus as he's sleeping. They're like us. Teacher, do you not care? Notice that we are perishing. So under the pressure, they're struggling. They're in stormy circumstances. Their thoughts are going all over the map. Their emotions are going crazy. They're struggling to just get by. And again, keep in mind, here's the thing we always forget. They don't know the end of the story, right? They can't read the next verse like you and I did. They're living this. They don't know what the next hour holds. They don't know the next situation. And they truly think they're in jeopardy. And everything they can see from their observation looks like this is an absolute catastrophe, destructive There is no surviving this. There is no getting to the other side of this. And in one sense, they do what is right through their struggling and hardship in desperation. They realize this is outside of our control. 
We cannot handle this on our own. We cannot resolve this situation. And what do they do? Technically, they go seek Jesus and they go speak to Jesus. You might say they prayed in their own way, but they prayed. They go to Jesus in their desperation. In that sense, they're a great example. Honest and sincere personal communication with the Lord happens, and those disciples, boy, they got real with Jesus very quickly. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about there were no fluff prayers there. There were no trying to, let's, well, let's sound spiritual. We're in a group here, so let me pray my best prayer and quote my favorite Bible verse. This was real prayer, man. They just went to Jesus and they said, Lord, we are about to die. Do something. Can't make it, Lord. Don't you care? Where, I mean, that is getting real with the Lord. And let me just say, it's always a major win, no matter how bad it looks like in the circumstances, like everything is a total loss. It is always a major win when any of us gets right with Jesus, gets real with Jesus, seeks Jesus, goes to Jesus, talks to Jesus. That's always a win. If you and I get more sincere with the Lord, there's always at least a wind in that. But just like us in their human struggle, notice two things in their terms, what they're wrestling with. The first thing to me that's obvious is there's a, there's a fearful perception of the situation and the outcome that was not accurate. They have a fearful perception of the situation and its outcome that's not accurate. Despite how it looked, what did Jesus say to them? Verse 35. Let us cross over to the other side. If Jesus promises something, Jesus will perform it. They couldn't sink because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. It didn't matter what the journey involved. It didn't matter what was going on. His directive is his promise and his performance, regardless of what was transpiring. And sometimes in hard circumstances, our perception of what's going on can be wrong. Sometimes our fearful perception of what the outcome may be is not always accurate. I mean, who had not at one time in their life before has been journeying through something and you were convinced that was it for you, right? And this is it. I'm going down this time. There's no way, and, and, and our perception in the midst of it actually ends up being inaccurate because the Lord is able to sustain us and to carry us through and to bring us to the other side. And look, bottom line is this, folks. Even if you took that in regards to Jesus, meaning that regarding your eternal life, Jesus is going to get you across the veil and over to the other side, and he's going to bring you to glory. And if you've accepted Jesus, it don't matter how much hardship you go through, he's going to get you out of this world, and he's going to get you crossed over to the other side. And he's going to bring you to your eternal destination. But sometimes just in life, our perception is wrong. We think something is going to result and end in a certain way just because it gets hard. And look, what else are they doing? They're doubting the loving care of the Lord. What do they say to him? Lord, they say, teacher, don't you care? Have we not all been guilty of that before? Lord, how could you let this happen? We did what you asked us to do. We did, this, we're not Jonah's here. Why are we going through this? And they're struggling to a degree because they're wrestling with the hard circumstances which they did not expect, nor did they cause. And it appeared in their minds that the Lord should be handling this differently. And it was a struggle for them mentally, as it is for us at times. But the bottom line is, the hard experiences had nothing to do with equating with his love for them. That was their conclusion. It was a wrong conclusion. If anything, it was a fleshly, and it was probably somewhat of a satanically inspired idea that somehow he didn't care just because it was a hard time. That's not the case at all, and we have to be careful of that common area we can struggle with. We go through hardship, we equate it to, if the Lord loved me, he wouldn't let me go through hardship. Sometimes because the Lord loves us, that's the times he shows us his love in the greatest ways possible, through the hardships and through the difficulties. And we all go through hardships. No one's immune. It's not something that's the Lord's getting you or doing something wrong. It's, it's a part of earthly existence. Well, look at verse 39. Jesus now in response, he doesn't chide them, but he does get up and respond initially. And it says he arose, 
rebuked the wind and the sea and said to it, peace, be still. The Greek literally is be muzzled. Like the creator, he speaks to creation, be muzzled. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So when the Lord in his wisdom and his rulership over circumstances decided it is now time to act accordingly, at that moment, he then, when he determined, exerted his mighty power, and with a spoken word and supreme authority, he commanded creation to settle down, and instantly it obeyed him. In one instance, he miraculously stopped the whole storm, and what a fitting illustration of the Lord's incredible authority and our Lord's incredible power, that he has the ability to do such. We need to remember that Jesus, our Lord, is the mighty God, and he has power to act. He can do incredible things. He can do miraculous works for our best interest if that's a part of the process for us. And for some of us, it may not just be settling the circumstances. Sometimes the greatest miracle is just settling our own heart and settling our own mind so that we don't spiral out of control mentally and emotionally. He can sometimes just restore stability emotionally and mentally with internal peace from him as we go through the journey. So he rebukes the weather, verse 40 says, but he then said to the disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So notice that Jesus was most concerned about not, and this is hard for us to hear, he was most concerned not about their circumstantial comfort. He was most interested in their inward condition. Because why? Because Jesus is always preparing every Christian for heaven. So because of that, our citizenship is in heaven. His primary interest in my life is not always my earthly comfort, smooth sailing. It is always to develop my inward condition. And what was Jesus doing? In the midst of this situation, he was allowing their faith to be tested, to be strengthened, to be helped. You can hear Jesus asking him these questions here. He says, why are you reacting in such fearful panic over what's happening? Why are you panicking in the midst of this? Why are you letting Jesus, in a sense of saying, wrong thoughts and fears and feelings overcome you? You can sense Jesus saying, don't you trust me yet? I've taken you through other things. Don't you trust me yet? After all you've seen me do in your life, have I ever forsaken you? Have I ever failed to come through for you? Have I ever not intervened in the ways it was necessary? And again, remember, they had rightly obeyed, but what happened? They rightly obeyed, and then it got hard because they obeyed. Because they obeyed, then things got hard as the result of obeying, and now they needed to trust him through the process. Jesus, in a sense, is reminding them, have I not resolved problems before? Have I not honored your obedience in times past? Have I not taken what was necessary to act in situations where I could bring you through difficulty? Why are, are you questioning my guidance now? Because obeying me brought hardship? Do you think that means somehow that I'm going to abandon you? I sent you out on the end of the limb doing what I asked you to do, and I'm just going to saw it off behind you and laugh at you here. And Jesus just wants them to be aware that he has the power to work in their situation. And sometimes the Lord does have to allow us from time to time, let's just be very candid, to work through our own lack of faith sometimes, to work through our own struggles and to kind of sometimes reveal to us even where we're at, because fear is the opposite of faith. And we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. And I think it is fair to say that in some ways, faith is the most essential component to a healthy relationship with the Lord. It is one of the most primary things. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And because of that, oftentimes the Lord's chief interest is he is working in my life and in your life and through circumstances and what goes on, and his primary goal is developing our faith, deepening our commitment towards him, teaching us how to trust him, how to live humbly and dependently upon him, and times that takes us not striving and taking care of it all on our own or thinking that we're somewhere where we're not or thinking we're more spiritually mature than we really are. And sometimes the Lord 
will allow things to transpire, and it becomes the greatest occasions for him to further develop our faith. And again, as we talked about earlier, a lot of times we think, trust and obey, trust and obey. If you trust him, you'll obey. Sometimes that's the truth. But other times you will find as you journey in your Christian experience that it will be the inversion. It will be the Lord asks you to obey. And then when you obey, the journey gets hard. And he says, okay, now that you've obeyed, now you have to trust. Now you have to trust in the midst of the obedience. Now you have to continue to trust that despite what you're enduring or going through, maybe as a result of the obedience, that you don't have to be afraid because I've said that we should do this and we're going to get to the other side. But when he reproves their hearts, look how the story concludes, verse 41, they feared exceedingly. Interesting. They went from being fearful of the storm, now who are they having great fear of? The Lord. They feared, it says, and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So what's the end result? They're humbled. They learn things about themselves. They see their own fears. They recognize their own lack of faith, and they discover things about the greatness of the Lord through endeavoring their way through hardship. It was through the hardship. These lessons, folks, could not have been learned in a safe, calm, peaceful existence back on the shore of Galilee. The only way they could see Jesus' great power and authority and his love to take care of them and the fact that he will sustain them whenever they do what he asked them to do through the storm and get them through the worst of times, that could only be learned in the storm. That's the only place it could be learned. And there are certain things that we will only learn about the Lord and about ourselves in hardships, in difficulties. They thought, I think if you said to them, do you guys know the Lord? Yeah, he is the Lord. He is the son of God. Why do you think we're walking around? And look what happens here. They thought they knew the Lord and they said, we thought we knew him. Who, who is this? He just talks to the wind and it listens. He just talks to the sea and it calms down. And all of a sudden, they saw greater things about the Lord. And again, if we put that in our own perspective, consider just, we live in a shore community, how strong the currents and the ocean waves are, how strong winds are when they come blasting through with storms, hurricane-type winds, things that we see, and to realize that Jesus can instantly and easily subdue any of that. It's all under his authority. Look, that is to be a great encouragement to us to realize that though the waters at times may get troubled in our life and it seems like we're going to drown or it looks like that things are out of control, that Jesus assures us, look, if you're on board with me, I'm going to get you to the other side. You just stay on board with me. Don't abandon ship. And look, if you need to, go plead with Jesus in humble dependency. And then I tell you this, Watch and wait and see what Jesus does. His power will be evident. Let's stand, let's pray.